And welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. This one is honestly packed, not only because there were three matches in the last week, but because we have a special guest and good friend of the pod to join us today, Henry Tufnell. Um, Henry, if you want to introduce yourself really quickly, um, maybe give a little bit of background into what you do to give our uh, to give our listeners a little bit of taste of, uh, of who you are. Sure, yeah. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. So, um, as you may be able to tell from the first few seconds of me talking, I'm from England. <laughs> uh, I've been in the States for about eight years now, and uh, I went to University of Miami for five of those years. And from graduating from there, I've basically been working in the sports industry in different forms. Um, I've been working with Shine Entertainment Media. It's a sports agency um, for four of the past four years. Um, and now I've got my law degree to go along with it. I'm sort of working my way into the sports agency industry and expanding myself within American football. That's awesome. Shout out to Sam's uh, lawyer connections. Yeah, class of 2020. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Henry? Hey, I, I had a question. What's yeah. your opinion on football culture in America? Like, there, we, we run into, like, a bunch of, you know, like, british elitists that you know they look at us and they think we don't know what the hell we're talking about but you know i know me zach and andreas we grew up around football we played when you were younger and you know so we know what we're talking about but what what's your opinion on football culture in america well it's funny because now i'm i'm on your side advocating for people to come to the mls right. and uh, emphasizing how much it's improved and you know how, how great it actually is to play over here but I understand growing up in Europe, there is sort of a negative view of American football and, and what they think it. And I think part of it is probably because of how successful the other American sports are. So when you have your supreme athletes, you know, like your Westbrooks playing basketball, they could be phenomenal soccer players. But they play when they, from what I can see, they play when they're younger to sort of develop the basic fundamental skills. And then they'll branch off into other sports where they can maybe earn more money. So I think that's the main reason behind it. But from what I think everyone can see, soccer is you know, growing so fast here. And I would say by 2026, by the time the World Cup comes around here, I think it'll be on a completely different level than it is now and than what most people are used to. Are we predicting a World Cup semifinal appearance? Absolutely. <laughs> hey, no, one, no, one, no one forgets, 1930 World Cup, United States made it, made it to the semifinals. Yep. That was the golden no, era. <laughs> nobody forgets because nobody was alive to see that. <laughs> hey, first ever World Cup, you know? We, we made an impact, and then it just hey. was all downhill from Some, there. The Titanic, like, barely sunk, like, what, when that <laughs> happened, right? When was that, like, like 1912 or something around, sometime I, around I gotta there? I got to brush up on my history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's good to hear it's good to hear your take on on just like the general footballing culture though Henry because like Sam said we do get a lot of especially on Twitter which seems to be like a cauldron of just hate and negativity we do get a lot of uh, backlash for you know being American soccer fans quote unquote um, but it's interesting the point you bring up about um, you know ath uh, you know elite athletes such as like you mentioned Russell Westbrook that could actually be really really good at soccer. Um, do you think that's like the main reason why, um, you know, you don't see a lot of other programs be invested into as much in terms of the collegiate level, because there's just not as much money going into soccer? 
I mean, yeah, in, in, in sport in general, money always talks. Um, that's, that's kind of just, just basic, really. Uh, but what people don't tend to know about the MLS is they sort of try to grow steadily on purpose. So yeah. the salary caps they put in, different rules they have, um, it's sort of intentional. So the whole league grows together rather than having, as they have in China, some teams that dominate every year and have the financial capabilities to do so. The MLS has a much more parity. So it's sort of growing slower over time, but I think it's more steady, the growth. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of like the actual player wages and the money that the that the actual teams have at their disposal, though, I mean, I know it pales in comparison to Europe, but from the from the agency side of it, um, I know that there are certain contingencies with the MLS and actual contracts. What What is so different with the way the MLS contracts are structured compared to, you know, um, Europe, for example? Well, it's also almost all, all the contracts are with the league, essentially. So the players sign and negotiate with the league. And then it's sort of like they're loaned out to the clubs, if, if that makes sense. Like the league what? owns a portion of yeah, that's how it works. So when players are sold internationally, the MLS itself takes a portion of the transfer fee. This is wow. news to me. I had no that, idea that's how it works. So that's... we have that re relocation. I don't know the right term, but like that draft where certain contracts you haven't protected, other teams yeah. can then Expansion poach draft? certain players, correct? Uh, no, not even expansion. It's at the end of each season, correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, but this will also blow your mind. There's something called the discovery list, whereby if a team finds a player abroad, really likes him, they have eight spots on this discovery list. And if they put him on before any other team does, they then have the priority rights to sign that player. Wow. Even if the player wants to go somewhere else, another team puts in a bigger offer, they have a, an amount of time where they own the right to sign him. That's, wow. again, Sick. to stop, you know, the Galaxies and the Atlanta United just becoming dominant. Mm -hmm. And it allows the, the sort of the lower teams to grow and be successful, too. One thing that is quite unique is you have a lot more different winners of the MLS Cup and of the, of the league here than in any other league. Do you, think that, do you think that's due in part to what you just said about how the league sort of shares the wealth? Absolutely. And with, yeah. with salary caps, uh, contracts, mm -hmm. which... You know, the way they're structured, a lot of the time they increase year by year. So, for example, mm -hmm. Atlanta United tend to have to, they, they find and build these great players and they tend to have to move them on to other teams. For example, Julian Gressel was a fantastic player that they had. He's now with DC. So it's, it's that sort of thing where the league is, is set out to try to promote this parity. So, interesting. I mean, I guess my question here and... Um, you know, you don't have to answer this if you if you can't for whatever reason. But do you think that's an issue with the MLS or, or something that could possibly be holding them back from growing to becoming not necessarily one of the world's top leagues, but maybe somewhere on par with, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to say mediocre, but mid-level uh, European leagues? I think historically and just in, in its essence, it does hold the league back. But again, I feel like it's intentional so they can grow sort of slowly yeah. and you don't have, like I said, you know, a top heavy, heavy league. But it definitely does limit the overall com competitiveness of, of the league. Like Zlatan was saying, he's paid so much more than the guy next to him in the locker room. It's, it creates this real imbalance among the, among the players. But I think over time, it has to be lifted. Yeah. I, I think 2026, when the World Cup comes, there'll be so much commercial revenue as well as everything else. It'll be like a perfect time for them to sort of remove these restrictions.
Do you know if that's something that's already kind of being discussed about or something that's in the works behind the scenes with the ownership? Um, well, not with ownership in particular, but with the league ownership, Don Garber, the commissioner, has mm -hmm. referenced that 2026 could be like a watershed change moment. And that seems what he could be alluding to. That that would be. I mean, I've been I've been advocating for that for the longest time. In my in my opinion, I I think that's holding back the league as well. Um, but like he said, I mean, I guess it is kind of intentional so they could prevent that mm -hmm. top and heavy. You know, the the club owners have money. It's it's not a matter of the owners being poor people. The people who buy <laughs> franchises are very rich people. Um, so that's. They could invest if they want to, and they, they've been investing in academies in this whole youth growth, which is also what the league wants for longevity. That ruins my plan yeah, yeah. of uh, buying an MLS team in the next couple of years, so yeah. <laughs> you you just got to gotta partner up with one of your NBA players, Sam. I mean, James Harden's part owner of, of the Houston Dynamo here in Texas, so hey, you never know. But, but Henry, uh, I'm Andres, Zach. Got a little starstruck and forgot to introduce his own co-host today <laughs> in today's podcast episode. Um, I just wanted to uh, right. I wanted to to bring things back in terms of the MLS more specifically to this year. And you know, the the UK and, and the FA called it Project Restart. MLS is doing the MLS is back and, and doing this tournament style format um, to complete the season this year. I wanted to ask you, I mean, the, the tournament hasn't started and it's already facing issues with, you know, FC Dallas completely withdrawing and and major players like Carlos Vela refusing to participate. Do you think this tournament is, is already kind of facing its downfall before it even begins? Well, hopefully it happens is, is the first step because, I mean, Nashville also had five positive cases yesterday, I believe. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot. It seems like it's going ahead, but, you know, we really, really hope so because when everyone's in that bubble, it could spread so fast. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to, to predict. It really is. With all these superstars gone and with an entire team like FC Dallas, that also puts them financially at a completely different level to everyone else. Um, it, it's, it's already a bit of a mess, but hopefully it continues and they're allowed to put on some, some good football. And you'll see some good football from, from teams you don't necessarily expect. With um with these missing players, like you said, I'm hoping hoping this benefits my Houston Dynamo, who are predicted uh -huh. by everyone to be bottom of the league. So hey, <laughs> crossing my fingers. Don't get your hopes up. Hey, Novella and LAFC is a totally different story here. So yeah. you never know. Um, yeah. the one thing before we get into Chelsea content, and sorry to our usual listeners, we we wanted to to really emphasize you know, bring, bring some of Henry's background into this, but we noticed your agency has represented players such as Raul Jimenez, who, I mean, this season has been, you know, every other big team has been throwing his name out. There as a potential, you know, dream signing. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, working with him and his, his people just kind of, what do you think has been the key contributor to his, his stock rising since his arrival at Wolves? Well, it's interesting because I've, I've always thought he was a fantastic player. His ability to link the play up and, and hold the ball up, and he's always been a great finisher. So he's always had these qualities. I think just doing it on a consistent level in the Premier League is what really attracts people, is that consistency. They're seeing it against the top teams, he scores big goals. He has the most points um, in the Premier League as a result of his goals. 
So he's just that um, immense impact he's having. And when you do it in the in the biggest league and against the toughest competition, you're going to attract interest. Oh, yeah, he, the the work he's been doing, and like you said, it, I think it stands out even more for a team like Wolves that's so used to you know scraping by one nil or two one results that he always seems to be the man around that final goal, uh, whether it's with his head, whether it's with his feet, breakaway, creating his own chance. It, it's just it's just crazy to see that, and you know we we don't see that often from North American players and yes i am counting mexico's north america for for our purposes here so yeah the the idea that you know last season it was alone this season they signed him and now you know not we don't know what other teams are doing but he seems to have found his home here in in the premier league it's it's just fun to to watch that yeah i couldn't agree more and we got a lot of people on twitter who ask us about you know our inside sources so once you hear about something, uh, wherever he goes, make sure you just text us so we can tweet it out and uh, <laughs> yeah, get that get that get that uh, Twitter cloud going. Um, all right, let's get into the recap. So, three matches we're gonna go over today, but instead of going through all of them one by one, I think we're just gonna do it grouped up bunch. So just a recap: uh, dreadful three-two loss to West Ham, a dominant three-nil win over Watford, and an absolutely but clenching 3-2 win over Palace with <laughs> one of the most stressful 10 minutes, <laughs> last 10 minutes of football I've ever watched. Uh, picking up a, to uh, a six of possible nine points. Not as good as we thought it would be, but it could have been much worse. Um, so after those three matches, we're sitting third in the Premier League with 60 points. Uh, one point clear uh, of Leicester in fourth right now. Leicester drew Arsenal today. Could have been a bigger gap, uh, thanks to Jamie Vardy with the late equalizer. I was secretly hoping for a draw just so I wouldn't have to root for Arsenal to win. It was I thought it was a good good result for us. Uh, like I said, Leicester in fourth with 59 points. Man United fifth uh, with 55 points with a game in hand. Uh, Villa on Thursday. So, I mean, this race for top four... And, I mean, still the implication of what's going to happen with Man City is still unknown. But I am I think from this point on, we're just going to have to assume top four are going to make it. So that race for the last four is going to be – I mean, the top four is going to be intense. I mean, the last couple matches of the season are going to be crucial for all four of those teams, really. Um, all right, let's, let's get into uh, – the we'll start off with uh, our forwards. So – Obviously, we're an American podcast, Henry. I'm sure you could just assume that we are in love with Christian Pulisic. Hey, as am I. Great. I mean, I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, like, let alone how fast it took. Did you have any doubts that he would reach this level of play? I mean, I would love to, to say, you know, I predicted it from the beginning after <laughs> signing him. I, did, I thought it was a great signing. Um but, you know, when he was uh, playing second field to Jaden Sancho, you're wondering, you know, what was what was missing. Uh, but before he went down with the injury, he was playing well. It took him a few games to get into it. He's had some fantastic games against Liverpool. And uh, obviously the hat-trick against Burnley was was, was great. Um, but I, I, I'm surprised that he is this good. I really am. He takes on players so successfully. And he has the, the, the end product that a lot of players lack uh, that... 
it's, it's been surprising. I think maybe being American and having to shoulder a lot of that responsibility has set him up well for playing at Chelsea. Yeah, and, and it's something that we kind of um, we touch upon it almost every time we talk about Pulisic. Is he's been doing this at the national level, at the national team level for a while, and it's just great to see him finally doing it at Chelsea. But more specifically, the match today, I, I, I want to talk about his goal. Um, the way he took that was just a player that's just oozing confidence. Um, he gets the ball from William, one or two touches, gets it out from under his feet, and just smacks it into the uh, upper near post. Um, is this something, I mean, I know we're seeing a lot of comparisons with Eden Hazard and Eric, uh, Henry, I'm kind of curious to see what you have to, uh, have to say about that. Are we kind of like jumping the gun here? I'm not saying that he's on the same level as Hazard whatsoever, but do we possibly have someone who could fill the void on the left-hand side? I think the for, term you're looking know, for is Hazard-esque. Hazard Hazard-esque. <laughs> yeah. Shout out, shout out to Ron. That's his term. Yeah. Hazard-esque. Well, yeah, as you said, it's 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 slightly jumping the gun, given that, in my opinion, Eden's probably the most talented player to ever play for Chelsea. Um, and he did it so consistently when we were terrible at times. He really carried the entire team. So it's whether or not Christian can do it on a consistent basis and in the big, big tournaments. He obviously had a huge goal against Man City. Uh, but whether or not he can do that in Champions League games is, is yet to be seen. So we have to see. We have to wait and see. A little bit more, but everything's there. Yeah. Andres, what do you think? Oh, yeah, Andres, oh man, I mean, for for one, I remember when we talked about his signing and, and what he would bring this season. I was going to be content. I remember dropping the name like number ten goal contributions in the Premier League, and I believe he's got seven goal, eight goals in the Premier League, maybe one in the Champions League, and a handful of assists on top of that. So he's already He's doubled his legal high career-wise what he had in Dortmund in his first season. Like Henry mentioned, through injury, through the COVID-19 break, it's, yeah, I mean, I, di I didn't expect it to be this fast. Obviously, all of us have the American bias, and, and we put on our, our America goggles, and we're like, yeah, this guy's going to make it. But when he's doing it, and, and the way he's doing it right now, I think... The signings we made prior to the window have kind of lit a fire inside of him to, to finally just kind of break out of his own shell in a way. He's always been touted as the talent, but even, you know, reporters always say he's kind of quiet, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think he's just, you know, he, he's always believed in himself. And now it's like, you know, I gotta, I have to come out and, and perform all the time to, to keep my spot. So it's a good reaction to, to what's coming and, and, obviously now what we're going to be expecting from him. We've got a Twitter question. Uh, this one's from uh, at Chelsea Eric. Uh, he wants to know how far ahead is Pulisic's development when compared to other U.S. national team players and also what American players come close or have the potential to reach this level as well. I think he's talking about current uh, U.S. not. I mean, I think – I think another interesting question to ask is like, is he a Henry? Do you think he's the greatest American player of all time already? <laughs> it's not a great sample size to choose from. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Clint Dempsey as a player, but in terms of pure talent, I think he is the best American talent to ever be produced. If you're saying all of North America, then we have to include Alfonso Davies, who in my opinion is probably the best left back in the world at the moment. So wow. he's behind him. 
Um, in terms of other American players who are coming through, um, there's Claudio Reyna's son, Giovanni Reyna, who's a Dortmund. He has the potential to be another massive player. And uh, at, at a Schalke, Weston McKinney is, is another guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think those are like the two the two main names that kind of stick out in my head also when I think of players that can sort of reach similar levels um, to what Pulisic's beginning to hit now. Um, the other one I kind of want to name is Josh Sargent also, the striker. I know he hasn't scored a lot of goals this season, but um, he hasn't been playing on a very good team either. Um, but that's another talent that, that we could keep our eyes open for. And if, uh, if we have any U.S. fans that are listening and don't know who that is, just look for the uh, curly-haired redhead next time the national team plays up top. Um, but yeah, like if he gets the call-up that he deserves. <laughs> yeah, well, he deserves it. That's the thing, yeah. And, and nobody really talks about him. It kind of bugs me in that way. But every time I've seen him play for the national team, like he, he seems like a natural goal scorer, and that's, that's something that we need desperately. Uh, let, let me ask you guys, do you think it's necessary for an American player to head abroad to become you know, at that level as the players we just mentioned? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Hey, Alfonso Davies, MLS product. Come on. (laughs) I was going to say, there's, they can definitely start in the MLS. I think, you know, a few years back, it was that FC Dallas player Costa in midfield was looking like such a promising player. Uh, And then, you know, rumors from Europe. Yeah. All the rumors came that, you know, bigger teams from Europe were looking at him to develop him abroad. Nothing kind of came of it. And, you know, one injury later, he's now, I think, with the Rapids and, and kind of his stock has really fallen. So I think today, in today's game, you still need it just because, you know, the MLS d- still doesn't qualify for your Club World Cup. And, and you know, these bigger tournaments where these te- these players in smaller leagues can make the world notice you unless you're at a World Cup. So uh, I think we're still a few years behind for the MLS to be able to do that. Uh, just personally, another player I wanted to throw in there that uh, that I think could eventually make it is Sergino Dest. I think he's he's still young, he's flexible whether he's playing left back, right back, or even left mid or right mid. Uh, he's he's developing well at Ajax. I believe he's staying there at maybe another season or so. But big teams were already sniffing around to to try to poach him. So his flexibility as to how many different positions he can play at a you know above average level could get him there i i just think that us as u.s fans seem to overhype the next big thing i mean timothy Weah was going to be our savior at one point julian green was going to be our savior at one point so it, it's a matter of understanding these guys are young still and and letting them develop before we claim they're going to be the next messy yeah and i think uh i think there's like a recent uh partnership between audi and the mls uh they're going to be i guess paying money to like mls academies in like an effort to try to keep u.s talent in the u.s so i mean like if it's if it takes corporate partnerships and stuff like that to improve like mls as like you know even if it becomes like a developmental league you know not not a top tier you know competitive league uh i think that is like right like it's, it seems like right now mls is more of like the old player who was like you know once very famous is like almost instead of retiring he spends a couple of years in, in america to you know 
cash a couple checks and do a little tour around America where people can watch them play. Like that's what it seems like more at this point, but I think they're trying to move in the direction, uh, the opposite, like trying to bring in more youth players and develop them. But I mean, I, I don't, even, I don't really f- keep up with MLS that much, so, but I think that. Yeah. Time, so I, this, yeah. this kind of gives me an, a, a quick question for Henry because you guys know I, I'm from Venezuela. So I see a little bit of the South American game and I feel the U.S. is giving South American players the route they wanted to get to Europe right now. So you see a lot of players jumping from Boca or River Plate to the MLS. I mean, again, from the Venezuelan perspective, two of our, our U-20 players from the national team who made it to the World Cup final are at the Dynamo, and they're 20, 21 years old now. So, Henry, is that the trend you've been seeing as well? kind of in the inside that South Americans are, are seeing a higher value to the MLS as a league overall? Absolutely. It makes sense on every front, really, because the MLS were looking for sort of, uh, you know, younger, exciting, cheap talent rather than, like you said, going for the, for the older players who are close to retirement. They're trying to be younger and trying to, to become more of a business. Like, like you're saying, if you look to South America and you find the best young talent there and then Europe sees them flourish in the MLS, there you have an amazing opportunity to make money and for the, the player to make his dream come true. You get a lot of eyes playing in the MLS, especially when you are dominant. Yeah, and, and I think, like Andres, just kind of piggyback on what you said earlier um, about those partnerships. Like LAFC is, is starting to do that with Peñarol in Uruguay, where we brought in Diego Rossi and now we brought in Brian Rodriguez and we're starting to look at you know some of their other youth talents to bring over to the MLS. And those are already guys that are being linked abroad. I know Diego Rossi's had some interest from from the Netherlands, at least I read. I mean, I don't know if Henry knows much about that. But um, it, it's something that's becoming like way, way more common. And Henry, to kind of co- go back to what you asked me earlier about um, you know players here having – the ability and the resources to develop into possibly world-class players. I think that's a great start by starting in Central and South America, bringing in these young guys um, who have, you know, international caps under their belt, whether it be at the youth level or even the senior level. Um, but the, just to kind of develop those players and cash in on them later on, it, it only makes sense. And I never really thought about that in, in terms of it being a win-win for everybody in that sense. Yeah, that, that's what's the conversation now. And it's, it's, becoming much easier to convince South American players that the MLS is a great place to, to either have your career fully or to use it as a stepping stone on, onto Europe because MLS understands you know, Europe is still the top dog. And if they can you know, sell players there, it makes a lot more sense. And in terms of salaries, the salaries being paid in South America are much less than in Europe. So for getting a transfer of a player from a championship team, for example, is... In terms of the salary cap, it's it's a lot more of a hit on the cap than it is finding young talent in South America. All right, and- let's move on, because uh, you know we we were I know Fourth of July just passed, but I think we've talked enough about America. Let's move back to uh, <laughs> let's move back to England across the pond. So let's talk about Willian because right now he is in amazing form. I mean, I don't know if he's it's one of those things where he's fooling us again. Because uh, I've just had this love-hate relationship, and I think most Chelsea fans have it. But I mean, he's had six goal contributions and four goals, two assists since the re- uh, the return or the, since the restart, and I think that's actually the most in the Premier League. 
which is unreal. I mean, considering the fact that, again, his contract is set to expire and there's just been, you know, more and more talks about signing him an extension, uh, an extension, but, you know, with uh, Ziyech coming in, uh, Werner coming in, you know, those two guys will probably see a lot of action on the right wing. Cho coming back from injury, probably he's going to be, you know, requiring a lot more play time. I think William, he's going to have to accept a role coming off the bench, but I mean, he's been one of the best players in all the Premier League. I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah, since since the return, and it's just like, I, 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 we got a we got a really you know interesting point from uh, Andrew Turney on Twitter. I think this is a first time question. So what's up, Andrew? How you doing? He says, "Is Frank send? Oh, sorry, is Frank and William sending a message to the board to sign him?" Every he starts every match, and since the restart has become our most important player, along with Captain America. Uh, I don't know. I, uh, I really don't know how to answer that question. I mean, Henry, what do you think? Your thoughts on extending William? Well, I think they they will find a way to make the extension happen. Whether it's two or three years, there's a lot of flexibility. I'm sure they will find a way. It seems like both parties want him to stay. Um, but I don't think Frank is sending a message. I think Frank is a great manager because he will play the best player at that time. If Giroud is scoring, Giroud will play. If Willian's playing well and scoring, Willian will play. And I don't think it's necessarily sending a message, but Willian just delivers on a weekly basis. You know exactly what you're going to get from him. Whether he steps off for a penalty, whether he bends on a free kick, you know what you're going to get week in, week out. And at this time, that's so valuable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for saying that. No, like... You guys have to be out of your damn minds if you think he doesn't deserve an extension. Uh, and I'm talking to Andres and Song. <laughs> and and, and listen, I, I'm asking you this question with the caveat of get the word, the two words Kai Havertz out of your head before you answer. Not even going to use them in my argument. Yeah, they're not even related. <laughs> no, Williams, because I... No, but this is—I mean—but this has been an argument for a lot of Chelsea fans: is why would we re-sign Willian if we're going to keep pursuing players like Havertz and other attacking players? But I, I know they play different positions. Yeah, Havertz could play out wide, but he's—he's he's been playing well, man, and he's so reliable. Just like Henry said, you know exactly what you're going to get. We talk about—we talked about it with Aspie last week, how he sort of gives us these seven out of ten performances every single week, and I think Willian is sort of falls along the same wavelength. Um, but again. The main criticism of him, and this is understandable, is just like the goals and assists. He just doesn't put up the numbers that we expect a player of his quality to. But he does the other intangibles that uh, that really don't show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, when was the last time you saw Willian hit a straight pass? It never happens. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and I'm not going to argue on that end. Like, again, the way he tracks back on defense, the way he, he runs the full match, the way, you know... His yeah. first touch, it gets him out of a lot of tricky – like we would lose right. the ball a lot more in dangerous areas if Willian wasn't on the pitch, especially today. And to his credit, I think Willian 2020 has been a different Willian than 2019 because I made the argument one thing Willian loves to do is he's he's Brazilian to a fault when the ball's at his feet where the ball has to like the, – the ball movement dies when it gets to Willian usually. And I'm going to say usually because it has changed since the turn of the year because the, the Tottenham match and, and other matches where we asked him to do different things, he finally has. You know, so since the return, yes, he 
like like Henry said, the the free kicks, the penalties, moments where we rely on him individually and we need a moment of brilliance have, have come up. And we know he's got that in his tool belt. But for once, he's actually being a little bit quicker in his decisions of what he's going to do once the ball gets to him, whether he's just going to take the touch and go around a guy, whether he's looking to pass and then move. Those are things that we usually don't see him do. He'll wait. He'll try to pull in defenders. And by the time that he makes a move, the team setting up a low block is set up. And that has always been my frustration. My thing is, is that with this change in, in, in of the guard, because again, William is going to try to push the start, but at the same time, we we probably can agree that Ziyech is supposed to start if he's on his day. So let, let's say if it comes to form and ZX performing, how will William react to that? Because we saw it with Conte. We've seen it when, when he doesn't agree. I, I just don't know. I know Lampard got rid of David Luiz the moment he was going to be a potential virus, like, you know, to the locker room. Is it worth going through that rigmarole with a player that, you know, William believes in what he can do. And, and again, he's performing it now. If you give him that two-year extension, do you also put up with what could potentially be a, a temper tantrum, which we have seen him do before? That's my question. Well, I, I don't think he's necessarily the player to throw a temper tra- tantrum if the decision explained to him is by Frank Lampard. He, I mean, they play together. And Frank is the player who had to transition to coming off the bench. So I assume he'll be able to translate, you know, that he's still important, especially as a locker room presence. But he just won't play every game. And we still play so many games, especially if we make it to the Champions League, that he will be used a lot. So it it, it really depends. I think it's worth keeping him here. Um, whether or not Ziyech plays better than him and replaces him, so be it. But I'd rather have that competition than to just lose a player like that who is still performing. Yeah, and, and it's a lot harder to see a player of his quality leave. Um you know, especially with what he's done at the club. Now, Henry brings up a good point, Andres, and this is kind of to your uh, to you mentioning, you know, him possibly throwing another temper tantrum. But, you know, like Henry said, him and Frank were teammates. So the differences here is that there's mutual respect. And there's a line of communication that Frank has with all of the players that I think is probably the most obvious coaching attribute that he has. I think everybody kind of knows exactly where they stand in his team. Um, so, so I, I just, I don't see that happening with William. I really don't. And I think he's not dumb. I, you know, he's going to be 32 next year. He's, he, he realizes that he's on the downturn. Um, and, and I think he's starting to see that with, you know, Chelsea's unwillingness to give him that three years that he's asking for. If he, if he, if news came out tomorrow that he signed a two year contract, my initial reaction would be happy. I mean, it would be a, a sensible signing, I think. At the end of the day, business-wise, it it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's easier, you know, in in, in the sales world, it's easier to keep a client than than sign a new one. So financially Mm -hmm. speaking, I'm sure an extension is is far more frugal than than whatever a Benrama will cost you as a fourth option. So uh, I get that part too. I, I just, it's just funny how, any time that that Williams place gets put into contention or the Barcelona rumors or whatever mm-hmm. is when he decides to be dropping 10 out of 10s week in and week out. Mm-hmm. Like it's coincidence. He just loves feeling the pressure. He loves feeling the pressure. <laughs> uh, That's a true professional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think also I would be, I'd be comfortable with a three year 
extension just because this guy is just he's always available to play he never gets hurt i'm knocking on wood by the way just so you guys are aware so but i mean he, he's just had a very good uh clean bill of health re uh, record so i'm happy about that uh let, let's move on real quick just to wrap up with our forwards the striker battle for the remainder of the season i mean like i you know obviously we got timo Werner coming in next season but we still got top four to uh to finish and we have a fa cup as well a really important matchup with man united coming up and Giroud is really <laughs> giving tammy a run for the number one striker spot i mean i know tammy scored today but well it was his first goal and i don't know how many so did matches Olivier. right oh yeah and yeah. so um i mean i'll start off with you henry is Giroud giving Tammy a run for the number one striker? I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, Frank would, is going to play the guy who's in better form. But, I mean, realistically, do you see any change to, you know, the pecking order to within the next, well, the last four matches or five matches? What, what makes sense to me, I think, is for Giroud to be playing against the tougher opposition, where you absolutely need him to hold up the ball and link the play where that's like essential and you can't give away the ball, Giroud will play. Potentially against the, the weaker opposition, Tammy might be better suited. If you think about most of the goals that he's scored, I think it's been against more of the, the bottom half of the league. So I think maybe that's a strategy to go for. But for Frank Lampard, I think Giroud is probably his, his number one. I mean, I'm, you guys know me. I'm all team Tammy. But right now, Giroud has to be the number one. He's just playing too well. Until until he stops scoring goals, I, I really don't think there is an argument for who should who the number one should be. Um, the performances he's putting in, you know, since Project Restart got up and running are pretty undeniable for the most part. But I, I, I spoke on it last week also. You know, I think we I think we are really quick to forget how young and inexperienced some of these players are. And yeah, even though Tammy has had loans to other teams and has played, you know, as the number one striker. Um, even in the Premier League when he was at Swansea for for a short run, but there's still a, a huge lack of experience when comparing him to a World Cup winner like Olivier Giroud, a guy that's been around the block a few times and you know is is always mentally ready. And I think that's that's the key is you know that mental readiness that you get with a with a veteran striker like Giroud compared to Tammy. Because let's be honest, this project restart does feel a lot like uh, a, a new season. You know, we saw it with Reese James. He just needed a couple minutes under his belt before he could get the wheels turning. Same thing with Billy Gilmore. Um, and I think it's much of the same with Tammy. But, you know, it, it's it's smarter for Frank to rely on his experience early on because he knows he's going to get performances out of them. And he's pro he's been proven right. And Giroud just does stuff that Tammy at, at this point cannot do. Like if you look at the Pulisic goal today, um, mm -hmm. it started off with William uh, passing him the ball and just giving it right back to him with like a quick you know one touch that's what uh, i was gonna get at yeah like that yeah. like you mentioned just holding up the 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 ball but like these kinds of passes that are necessary for a build-up like i just don't see tammy making those ever and you know the one the one thing that i had a lot of problems with tammy is that he would get called offsides all the time and today he showed a lot of uh discipline in you know holding up his run for his one goal just perfectly mm -hmm kept himself on side for that and i was really impressed by that but still i just yeah. think that for the way that frank plays what Giroud does is is at this moment i think he he's a lot more effective and i think even more so with this new 
tactical setup that we've seen after Project Restart got back up with Mountain Barkley in those attacking eights making runs past our front three. You know, Giroud being so good with his back to goal, he's helping those guys get the space to to put themselves in in dangerous situations. So, like you said, when Tammy's scoring, you keep playing him because he's the kind of guy that he scores the ugly ones, he scores the pretty ones, he scores the hard ones when he's on that sort of form. But right now, for whatever reason, yes, he got his goal today. When he's not scoring, he he's yet to learn because I'm not saying he can't do it. I think he's been working at it. But Giroud has always never he's never been the quick guy. So I feel like he's always played with his back to goal. And when you have not only Pulisic and Willian running 90 minutes, but you have also Mountain Barkley who are eager to get in the box, that's that sort of link up play is is almost too too nice for those midfielders they're not going to pass up the opportunities and and Lampard as a midfielder who loves scoring himself definitely sees the value in what Giroud is bringing I mean it's also just classic Chelsea striker from Diego Costa to Drogba you need <laughs> the big guys who just are going to connect everything together it's just the Chelsea striker way really yeah and, and that's something I was going to mention too is I, I think we were all kind of surprised that Giroud got the contract extension after the Werner news came out um but, but I think we're I think we're seeing the role and the reason why Frank re-signed him is because we don't have another player on our roster who could do what he does so having somebody like that at your disposal is only going to be advantageous to you um and especially when we get Werner in next season we'll literally have three number nines we'll have a pure goal scorer in Tammy we'll have a pure target man in Ali Giroud and then we'll have sort of like this inside forward slash you know flash <laughs> for lack of a better word and i'm using the superhero term flash um in in timo Werner. so we, we're kind of getting a little bit of everything at the striker position next season um you know in terms of pace goal scoring ability and and, and hold up play so you know it's it's it was interesting to see and i and i questioned frank and 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 the club for re-signing Giroud after the Werner signing but now, you know, I think we're starting to see exactly what his role is going to be moving on to next season. And I don't think it's going to be a bit part at all. I think he's probably going to be the main sub coming off of the bench um, for whichever nine starts that game. Yeah, and Frank is going to get his pick of the litter and, you know, just be able to choose who he wants for whatever situation presents itself. All right, let's move on to midfielders. Uh, wait, do you guys hear that? Oh, not again. <laughs> I'm going 90 in a 60 mile per hour speed zone with the Barkley bus. I'm ready to pick you, you guys up. We're going full speed <laughs> oh ahead. God. Henry, if you're not aware, I'm the I'm the captain of Ross Barkley fan club uh, <laughs> and AKA the captain of the Barkley bus. Barkley bus, alright. Yeah, so will, will you hop on the Barkley bus? That's my first Absolutely. question. Absolutely, I am. A Let's go. Fan. Of Ross Barkley, <laughs> when he makes the right decision. What, are you are go. you available There's to be top. a full-time co-host and to maybe replace <laughs> these other two guys who don't believe? Uh, he, he dropped you a big caveat there. I, I, I blocked so, that part out. I blocked that he, part he's out. He's making the right decision a lot more frequently than he used to. But left foot, right foot, long passes, long shots. He's He's got everything you want as well, especially yeah, for a Lampard-esque midfielder. There we go, that number before, eight. Before, before we, we get deeper into giving him praise, because I have to <laughs> mess with Sam for a second. If it's not RLC running at the defense with Tammy making the run, 
does Ross find Tammy there? Zero chance. Or does zero. he not pull the trigger? That's zero chance. He pulls the trigger. There's no way he does that death little pass over the top. <laughs> I'll admit his flaws when when they happen. Okay, but Alexa. I mean. I'll have to. I just have to say, Ross Barkley was the only midfielder to be picked for every starting eleven this week. Uh, he was the man of the match today. against Watford with an assist, followed by his first Premier League goal of the season. Uh, I'll start off with you, Henry, because you kind of alluded to it. Is this a new Ross Barkley? I, how, how much do you credit Frank's instruction, his influence, and you know, really his confidence in him for his recent form? I think it's a small sort of Ross Barkley. I think he's he's. He's had this talent for ages, and now I think he listens to Frank Lampard, and he does the work defensively, which is the craziest part. When they put out that Man City team, and they had Kante flanked either side by Mount and Barkley, I thought, oh my word, they're just going to get overrun in that <laughs> midfield. Defensively, none of them are going to come back, but Barkley did his job, tracked back, pressed well. It was unbelievable. And then, yeah, now he's making better decisions in the final third, albeit not perfect. But when he gets that, what more could you want from a from a midfielder? It's it's interesting because I think it's impossible for a midfielder, especially like a natural eight like Ross Barkley, to not learn something from one of the greatest midfielders ever. Um, and I <laughs> we're starting to see that. And some I, I'm not gonna lie, I, I I think I have one foot in the Barkley bus at the moment, just Let's one go. foot. Um, but look. The bottom line is um, I think we need to see what Frank's plans are for Ruben before we could get too excited about Ross Barkley at the moment. Um, because like you said, I don't see Ross making that pass. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the first time Ruben got the play in his natural position, he gets the opportunity to make a play like that and makes the right decision. Um, it took Ross Barkley about 40 caps before he was able to do that with us. So, um, you know, I – I, I think that's a more important question here is is what happens with RLC moving forward? Where does Frank see him playing? Does he see him more as a 10 or maybe and and maybe he continues to play him outside on the wing like we have seen? Um, but that but that that'll be the main thing. Andres, what do you think is uh, yeah, I mean I'm I'm gonna keep it short. Actually, can we go into Nacho Fuentes' question on Barkley? Because my answer plays into that. Yeah, shout mm. out to Venezuela. So uh so, yeah, we got that question from Nacho Fuentes. He asks, how long – wait, sorry, something just popped up on my screen. How long will Barkley be able to keep his place on the side? So here's my take on Barkley right now. So, Sam, I will be on your bus for a few stops. And, those, <laughs> and here's why. Because Loftus-Cheek has not found his full form yet. And the moment Loftus-Cheek finds his full form, and we can see that – cameo he had today for a full 70 full to a full 90 there will no no longer be a barclay bus it'll get replaced by a nice shiny sexy sports car in rlc so i'll ride the bus for now i think barclay has done much better than i ever anticipated especially like henry said starting with that city match uh he has been putting the defensive work and in, in, and Zach, I actually think that Barkley was more of a 10 than a natural 8. He, he was a lot further forward in his time at Everton. And I think in Sarri's time, we've seen him try to convert to an 8 and now really seeing it under Frank. But he's doing what he's asked, has asked of him. He is doing the work defensively off the ball, which I did not expect from Ross Barkley. So 
Yeah, for the meantime, as much as he's rugged and like again, like you guys said, he is prone to his mistakes. I I don't question his name on the team sheet as a starter for now. All credit to Frank Lampard, honestly. And I'm going to be completely serious. I mean, other than that one ball by RLC, I was really unimpressed by his play today. So, um, oh, he made a crucial block at the end. No, no, no. He and, made a crucial block after giving the ball away. Yeah, the, he, he tried to clear the ball and just gave it right up and just was in the right place at the right time. I'm not going to give him credit for that play. But that what was more crunch. frustrating, too, is he, he. I think Tammy lost the ball towards the end that led up to the chance. Oh, that was frustrating. At all. He didn't, I know. He didn't, and I was amazed. I know he's trying to, you know, maybe rest, you know, his injury, but you got to get back, especially that late in the game. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Mason Mount because he's continuing to impress as well. Uh, Henry, I'll start off with you again. What is it about Mason that Frank loves so much? I think it's the same thing that we love about him, to be honest. Yeah. It, it's everything. It's uh, the work rate and training that you hear about, his sort of willingness to learn, um, the fact that he always seems like he's improving. Even though maybe the goals have dried up a little bit for him, I think he's still making the right decisions. He's uh, He's got quality from the dead ball, which is great. And, yeah, I think when you see him play with confidence, he's really hard to stop. He makes great little turns, and uh, he has a good turn of pace. Work, work rate defensively is high, you know? Again, Frank has his ideal sort of player. He's just a – he's an absolute pain in the ass to play against from an opposition's point of view. Um, and, and I noticed two key roles um, that he played today. The first goal um, – or actually Pulisic's goal, sorry. Um, there was a loose ball at midfield. I don't know who lost it. But Mason picked it up, one touch, laid it off to Willian. And if you keep your eye on Mason, he continues his run and actually overlaps Willian right about midfield and continues his run all the way into the box. And that was a huge and, and that, that dragged out their left back and isolated Pulisic to go 1v1 on the right hand side or on the left hand side. And that was just the first goal. He also played a huge part in the third goal as well doing something very similar, winning the ball back and again making another deep run after winning the ball back into the box and pinning the the, the other defense back. That's that's those are the intangibles that we always talk about with him that are so hard to find in other modern day footballers. You don't really see much of the blue collar workers as much anymore. That you, you tend to see a lot more flair players with, you know, flashy passing and skill moves. But it's great to see Mason as, as kind of this throwback player and see Frank sort of use him as a throwback player is, is great as well. And if you guys want some expert analysis on Mason Mount, when I was watching the match with my dad today. Uh, he said, I don't like this Mount guy. And I said, ask him why. And he said, I don't know. I just don't like the way he looks. So, uh, I mean, no, he does I, have that one it. flaw. <laughs> My I was dad about doesn't to show the way he, he just looks. doesn't look great. But how about, how about this, though? Like, Mason Mount, and, and call me crazy, but the only reason this new tactical system works is his work rate off the ball. Mm-hmm. And I, on offense and, and defensively, because... He is absolutely everywhere, and he's making he's in the right spaces at all times. You mentioned those overlapping runs. You the, the amount of times now we've seen him jump into the passing lane and immediately be head forward looking for a pass. Yes, he's not scoring goals, but he's also starting with the ball 20, 30 yards further back than he's used to. But, I mean, that Watford match, 
yes, Barkley got the man of the match, but I thought, in my personal opinion, it was Mount that was yeah. a standout player. And, mm-hmm. and apart from Pulisic, who's made more of a direct impact, we mentioned this. I think Mount and Pulisic and Conte, if he's healthy, those three have been our three most indispensable names in the starting 11. And yeah, I think we were using him as, a, as that shadow striker earlier in the season and he was getting the goals. But then I I don't know what it was, but we always talked about like, does he have the creativity to do that sort of role? And, and maybe it was just bringing him back a little bit further into the pitch. And in uh, Darby, he was playing this role. And that's what was getting buzz for him from other teams outside of Chelsea. So this is where he's supposed to be playing. And now we can see why. I, I, again, the movement off the ball, the willingness to run past the striker, just, yeah, the, the selfless selflessness overall. Because, again, Henry alluded to it. His numbers for goals and assists aren't there, but it's those things he's doing when not receiving the ball that allow the other players to get the ball in the back of the net. And, and yeah, Mason Mount, like, I can't see a Chelsea 11 without him starting when he's playing in this form. So so what you're saying, Andres, is uh, he's exhibiting all of the qualities that a future captain has. Who knows? No. <laughs> Who knows? Why not? Henry, what do you think? Because because I tend – like I, I've said it on the podcast before, but like I firmly believe that, that he could be the next captain, especially if Frank's here for the long haul. Um, in my personal opinion, I – I tend to like having captains be defensive midfielders. Thank or you. Because they can see the entire game. You know, Mason turns, like, mm-hmm. as part of his game, he has to turn around a lot, you know, face different aspects. He doesn't necessarily see everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wouldn't quite peg him. He's a perfect vice captain. But I wouldn't peg Thank him. Thank you. Yes. Captain. Well, talking about vice captain, let's move on to a really, really controversial topic. This is one of the most polarizing topics in all of Chelsea right now. And it's Jorginho's continued absence. Uh, I mean, his only shout out to Ron, uh, J5 crew. Um, So the only appearance, his only appearance since the restart was coming on for Billy Gilmore in the 80th minute today. And I almost wish that Frank didn't because I kind of made up my mind and was okay with him leaving. But, I mean, that game was getting hectic, and as soon as he stepped on the pitch, he calmed things down. He took control of that match. He only played for 10 minutes, and he made 30 passes, 86.7% pass accuracy, <laughs> compared to Ross Barkley, who had 15 passes in 64 minutes. Uh, and, you know, he was just pinging around those long balls, seven out of eight successful long balls, just money with it. Um I I was so disappointed to see that, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, Rico, uh, one of the number one haters uh, on Twitter and turned true fan, uh, he actually agrees with me. He says, uh, if we get rid of Jorginho, who in our midfield has the ability to calm things down and just control play? I mean, that's exactly the first two things that came up in my head when I was thinking when I was watching his his performance. And also, I'll just ask to add on whether you see Jorginho in this team's future, Henry, I'll start off with you. I, I unfortunately don't think there is anyone at the moment who can calm down the play like Jorginho. He was used quite a lot before the break took place. And I think to be honest, the break is, was the worst timing for Billy Gilmore because he had such good games before the break and he was playing with confidence. And then he sort of became an overnight star and since he's come back, he hasn't performed at that level. And unlike all these other young players we've integrated, 
the other players seem to have uh, fit in almost seamlessly and been relatively consistent. Billy Gilmore's a bit up and down at the moment, and Jorginho, I think, probably should have started today. I think he would have kept the team ticking over a little bit better than Billy would have. And this might be a case of Frank trying to you know, promote youth a little bit too much. Because Jorginho does something that no one else on that team can do when Kante is not playing. I think Kante, as the defensive midfielder, has been much better, especially since he can cover if he get countered. But Jorginho right now still has value, but I don't think he'll stay. It's just so crazy to think at a time, you know, such a crucial time in the season that Frank would be, you know, testing out the youth. Like, these are must-win matches. And I think I think there's a little bit more to it than just that. I mean, it. it I think it has to be because I, I think Frank is at the point where, like you said, he's going to feel his best best 11 no matter what because every point matters now. But I think there ha- there's something more, and I just cannot put my finger on it. I, I don't know if, if he just looked at tape and, and the times that, you know, we have gotten countered, he's placing the whole blame on, on Jorginho. But, I mean, the difference was – was so obvious and and I personally didn't think Billy had a, a bad game today I just thought it was average like he he never he wasn't an eight out of ten for me today but yeah the moment Jorginho came on I think the 10 minutes prior we were possessing about 36 percent of the ball he came in and we possessed the rest of the match 86 percent of the ball and we we've known this you know Jorginho comes onto the pitch and he for watching from our televisions is obviously talking the whole time to his players and he's pointing and he's directing and he's demanding the ball. And we don't see that often. Yes. Our, our transition to the final third slowed down a bit, but the amount of control in which we kept the ball, I think we connected, I think I counted up to 16 passes at one point and I was thinking, okay, we don't have Conte to, to protect us from getting, you know, just kind of pounded for the last 10 minutes, but this is the perfect solution when he's not here, you know, just, if we have the ball, they don't. And Jorginho not only makes the right pass himself, but he sets his teammates up to make the next pass already without thinking about it. He's pointing, he's receiving the ball, has already pointed at the next guy to go where he should be so that the next pass has multiple options. And yeah, I, I don't, I expected him to start today as well. I didn't, I didn't quite understand the, we, we, I still don't understand why he hasn't played much or almost none honestly but yeah the, the the passing the quality of the passing the quality of the buildup looked so much more in control when he came back on and, and I'm kind of interested to see if we'll deploy that against these low block teams a little bit more and just if we control the ball we shouldn't quite be as afraid of a counter attack when somebody like Jorginho is basically quarterbacking everybody to be in the right place I don't know about his future, though. I, I still think something will happen and he won't be here next season. We'll be losing the best penalty kick- taker I've probably ever seen in my life, though. Yeah, fair. Yeah, William, fair. that's for sure. <laughs> well, William hasn't missed one in the Chelsea shirt, has he? I saw, no. I saw a stat for that also. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, just to kind of go back to the Jorginho thing, um, I just think he's surplus the requirements right now. Um, if you look at the way Frank wants to play, and I think the way moving forward is is clearly with Conte at the base, there really is no room for Jorginho unless he's going to be used as a utility player that you do bring on in sort of like a Mikel role where he just plays those sideways passes and keeps the ball ticking over. Um, but he's not going to stand for that, and I think he has too much quality to honestly, um, from a footballing, from just a purely footballing perspective, putting my Chelsea fanhood aside. 
he's way too good of a player to be coming off the bench, um, even for us. So um, I, I think I think there's another club out there um, that's that's going to be interested, and in, and that's actually going to go in for him this summer. Um, and I and you know contrary to what you guys think, I I think you know Frank may be proving a little point here um, that he might not be in his plans long term. You know how I said earlier that Jorginho was the most polarizing uh, topic in Chelsea? As I'm looking ahead and we move on to talking about the defense, I now realize I was way wrong. Our defense is definitely the most yep. polarizing topic, and uh, specifically <laughs> our center back pairing because, I mean, who the fuck knows about what <laughs> is going on? We'll, we'll, st- we'll talk about our center backs for the rest of the season, and then we'll talk about it for the next season, so... We actually we got a question or uh, on Twitter from Jared Barkovsky. Uh, he's been pretty active lately. What's up, Jared? He's just he uh, he says, I just can't do this defense anymore. They make an easy win into an ulcer into my stomach. What can Lampard do to tighten up that back line? Henry, I'll start uh, with you. I yeah, I'll, I'll, I wanted to start real quick. Oh, go ahead. I think to. The last two matches proved one thing is for certain that it should start with Zuma plus one at center back for the remainder of the season. No matter how uncoordinated he may look to the eye when he does things, he does them and 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 he does them well. Like I I get that we play a possessive style football, and to be honest, I think it's underrated how good of a passer Zuma is. But at the end of the day, he has to defend, and if Zuma isn't there today. We don't we don't win today's game. It wouldn't have even been close the way Palace was attacking in the final minutes. So for the rest of the season, Jared, I hope that Zuma is the first name of of the two center backs, just outright. Yeah, Jared, I feel your pain. It's uh it's unusual for us to see such defensive frailties for the whole season. Um, I don't even know if Zuma's my favorite defender. I can't tell you. I used to think Rudiger was our best. Then he put in some subpar performances. It seems like none of them can keep up for a long enough period of time. I, I, can't, I can't say with any certainty which, which pairing I'd like to see. Zuma has the athletic ability and it seemed like he could have been our guy back in the past before he had that terrible injury. So maybe he has the potential. But Christensen's probably the most consistent but consistently just okay, really. Yep, yeah, it's it's a real struggle. I mean, when you look at it's one a, of our one of our main problems is just like our physicality and you know our winning aerial battles. And I was trying to find statistics uh, that are more current, but I, I found some from January. And when you when you look at winning aerial battles. Rudiger won 58%, Christensen, Christensen 57 Tomori 55 Zuma 75% of aerial battles won. And then those, when are, looking, those numbers are still actually accurate now. Yeah, I'm sure they're not far off. And then when you look at headed clearances, Tomori had 15, Rudiger 19, Christensen 21, Zuma with 46. I mean, wow. these are these are big holes that we've noticed and Zuma is clearly the one who fills those holes. Zach, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I know you're going to say something, but no, 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 you're good. Um, but yeah, I, Henry, I kind of like what you said. I, I think you hit the nail right on the head and something that we've been tiptoeing around, but haven't said directly is that there really is no clear number one and they all seem to just be okay. There's no, 
real star in the making out of the four um, that we have. But in terms of right now, I think Kurt Zuma is, is probably our biggest defensive asset just because of what Sam, you, you mentioned, the aerial ability. It was so noticeable against Watford. Um, he, he basically manhandled Troy Deeney for the 90 minutes, and not a lot of uh, center backs could go ahead and do that against one of the better, better aerial attackers in the league. Um, but, you know, the passing is highly underrated. His level of athleticism, even though he did suffer that injury and he doesn't look as athletic as he once was, he is still a freak athletically and has so much to offer um, to us playing in that sort of role where we could use him as the athletic center back. But now the issue is maybe finding a foil to it. Um, and I think Christensen is great for now um, and, and it's working for now. But long term, it's going to be tough because even if we go out into the market and buy one center back and, you know, let's say it's a world class signing. Andres wants me to say Koulibaly. But let's say we do go out and we buy a Koulibaly. Now the question is, who do we put next to him? Because we have we pretty much have our pick of the litter. We got Rudiger that has international caps and international experience, but we know it could be shaky at times. Christensen, where sometimes his mentality's uh, in question, and then we got Zuma, who would either you know give you that ten out of ten performance or just kind of gives you that five or six out of ten. Is never really hit that sort of consistent level that we've expected of him. It's, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this pans out. Um, but something that's not here in the script that I kind of wanted to mention to our listeners was I, I was reading over um, Frank's talking about uh, about Tomori for next season. Um, and, and, and I think alone is going to be in the works for him as well. So that just kind of points to, you know, none of these guys are really ready to carry us into the next level. I definitely think that there's going to have to be some sort of investment made for us to for, for for me at least to feel comfortable with our center back situation. And b- before we get before we get onto that, the the thing I forgot to mention. I mean, just looking at his last one, two, three, five starts for Chelsea with Zuma, mm-hmm. two nil victory to Liverpool, four nil victory to Everton, one nil victory to Leicester, three nil victory to Watford, three two victory to Crystal Palace. Yes, there's obviously other factors involved, but. I mean, the Premier League is as physical as it gets, and and to have a again, we don't. I don't think that Kurt Zuma is what you anchor your back four around long term. But Henry mentioned back in the day, Zuma under the leadership of a center back number one in that case, John Terry was fantastic, and I think that's the one thing missing in Zuma's game is is just maybe a little bit of IQ of of how to lead a back line, and if he has that vocal leader next to him. And he's more of like a, you know, a Robin to a Batman. That role would suit him perfectly. And the other thing is, I mean, we we can expect at least one slide tackle that's going to make us just pray that he never leaves every ninety minutes. <laughs> so that's my last bit on it, just for the remainder of the season. Again, I'm, I'm on board to adding new talent to this back line. And uh, let, let's let's get into the next season. So we got a question here from Bobby Toddy. What's up, Bobby? He says, who's the best option to buy that we can partner with Zuma? <laughs> so I think he's on the Zuma train as well. Henry, if you could if you could pick, who would you, who okay, would you buy? Well, go ahead and add Ron's, though. Make sure we oh, yeah. yeah so Ron, Ron wants to know, is Declan Rice the answer for us? And I think he's he's uh, mentioning this article written by Simon Johnson on The Athletic that uh, possibly sending Tamori on loan back to West Ham uh, you know, to fill that void especially if West Ham doesn't get relegated, um, would that be the answer for us? 
Well, Declan Rice is a Chelsea fan, so I think convincing him would be relatively easy. <laughs> um, I don't think he's a centre-back, naturally. I think he is a holding midfielder, so I don't think that really solves any of our problems. In terms of who would be the best option for Zuma, from what I've seen from historically good centre-back pairings, and you have you know Vidic, Ferdinand, Terry Carvalho, even now to an extent with Maguire and Lindelof, you have that one huge aerial presence who just you know wins every single header goes for it automatically and then you have that good player next to him who's a bit silkier on the ball you know can play the ball over the top gives a different dimension but is maybe more talkative so i think that's the sort of player we're looking for you mentioned kudabali i think he's too old unfortunately and too expensive for how old he is they we were linked for a while with uh, leo like this guy called gabriel um, Magalhães, I think I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly. Um, but again, I think he's also a very powerful type player and not quite as as silky on the ball. I don't, I can't see anyone in the market who is the perfect replacement. And I think what we need is that big money marquee signing like a Van Dijk or or the Harry Maguire, just where so you know for a fact that they will be an incredible player, even if you have to pay over the odds. I think our best option right now is to buy Ben Chilwell and see how much he can add uh, as a left-back to our team. And then from there, you look for the for the major centre-back pairing. Love the be- the Chilwell shout, because I think <laughs> as a podcast as a whole, we've been kind of against it. I, I want to hear what your case for uh, Chilwell is. Well, I've watched him play football. Um, that's- <laughs> <laughs> more, more than just the, the Chelsea match a couple of weeks ago. I think that's a lot of Chelsea fans have only seen him in that matchup, where he was not yeah. particularly good. I've been watching, for some reason, a lot of Leicester because now they're relevant. And they were they were pretty poor today until that unbelievable red card where Eddie and Kessia didn't touch the ball before he got red carded. That was <laughs> Super sad. Um, and they really, really missed Ben Chilwell today. He has fantastic quality on the ball. He makes the right runs. Um, his crossing is incredible. And that's one of the most valuable assets right now. If you look at Robertson and Alexander-Arnold, so the, mm-hmm. the typical what you look for in a wingback, their ability to cross from distance is is impeccable. And Ben Chilwell is a great defender. He scored an amazing goal, too, to start the, the restart. Um, I think he's really everything we look for. He's English, too. He's young. You have to pay a premium, absolutely. But if you can get him now, I think he would be a huge defensive improvement and an improvement going forward that was sort of maybe make up for some of the things that we're missing at that centre-back pairing. And I think that Reese uh, James matchup with him would be something, it would be unbelievable, the kind of balls that they'd be playing on both sides. Absolutely. I mean, that would be awesome. I I was going to go back to the Rice thing because it, it everything that I keep seeing online is that if the rumours are true is that Frank sees him as a centre-back option. And I was trying to think, the only guy that I can think of that made that sort of transition – or the only two guys that come to mind are, are Mascherano and, and Yaya Toure. And I don't, I, I still don't know enough about Declan Rice to know if that's in his bag. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, again, I don't know how reliable the media sources have been as to why that name seems to stick as the center back option. Um, how would you feel? How would you guys feel? Cause I, it was a topic of discussion today while I was watching the match. Bournemouth gets relegated. Nathan Ake is available for a cut price. Uh, no, thank you. 
Yeah, I, I still think like we tried it once, it didn't work, and, and it, it's not fitting the profile of player that we need. I, I just, I, I'm kind of on Henry's side with this. If, if we can't go out and get an absolute top class ready made center back, I don't think it's going out and, and it's worth going out and buying one. Um, Roll out the red carpet for David Alaba then. <sighs> that would be Please that go. would be lovely, but he wouldn't leave the best <laughs> team in Europe. Just don't see it happening. And I like no, how Henry's on my side zero about chance. not wanting Koulibaly just because of the age and the price. Uh, but I mean, we've tried in the past too. Like it, it just doesn't seem like it's it's something that that makes sense for guys, either team. Do you think if we didn't have this transfer ban, we'd have Harry Maguire right now, or that was no, probably supposed to no go way. to United? No, I, no I way. We would have he... we would have had Lewis Dunk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to Keppa. That's we'll we'll wrap up the the recaps. It was a little bit long winded, but I think it was really good discussion. Um, so Keppa today, obviously that goal, the the Zaha rocket, uh, it, it caused a lot of uh, discussion whether that was a savable shot. And I think the consensus kind of came down to it is like there's only a handful of of uh, keepers out there that would have been able to make that save. And, you know, that alone, what does that say about Keppa? I mean, is he good enough? What I mean, what do you guys think about what we do at the keeper position? Does he stay? Do we go after someone else? Uh, Ron actually asked uh, on Twitter. Sorry, Ron. Uh, he says, how confident are you guys with Keppa? Henry, um, I'm curious to hear your take because we've been pretty long-winded about the Keppa conversation. Yeah. It's, it's so strange because the first year I was – on, on the Kepa train a little bit. He made some fantastic saves. Um, the numbers look awful for him this year. I don't know if it's necessarily all his fault. He's, he has made some very important last-second saves, especially today, and I think another one against Watford yeah. uh, mm-hmm. early on in the season. I think he has the talent. I think what he's not used to is... I mean, he came from um, Athletic Bilbao, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Uh, yeah. And when you're playing for that team, you're in the action all the time. So he, sh- he was able to showcase his talent. I think his ability to focus like consistently for 90 minutes needs work. I think that's the main thing. I think he has the talent, but I think he just doesn't focus for the, for the entire game. And obviously when he refused to get substituted, that still sort of hangs over his head. So whenever yeah. something bad happens, they immediately go against Kepa, which... It's easy to point fingers at him. See, Zaha, I'm glad Zaha's you said bang, that. Zaha's banger, though, what did you make of it? Because, because I I mean, we, we had our argument, me, Sam, and Andres, on our, <laughs> in our group chat. But um, I, I, I thought Kepa should have gotten a hand on that. I mean, it was right down the middle. Yes, the ball was moving. Um, but, but what's your take on it? I think, like you say, the top, top keepers, the Allisons, the Edisons, Jan Oblak, they saved that. But that's because they're keyed in. The whole 90 minutes. That was Zaha's fourth goal of the season. And I don't know if I've ever seen him score from long range like that. Yeah. I don't think Kepa was mm-hmm. expecting it. He wasn't zoned in. I, don't know, I wasn't expecting it for sure. Um, so I you can blame Kepa, but I think just give him a little bit more time. I think one more season, then, then we'll really know. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're pro- I literally just said this like a week or two ago on the podcast that it it's just the fact that we we get mad at Keppa because 
Chelsea's under control of the game. Or, and for most of this season, we've dominated possession week in and week out, except for, you know, the top teams when we decide to sit back. But when has Kepa cost us those games when we are sitting back and are getting peppered with shots? Never. It's never been an issue when he yeah. faces 17 shots because he's on it the full game. And yes, his distribution is not has not been fantastic this year, and that's why you know sorry wanted him or whatever. But there's more to it. If you look at the goals that have been scored on us, how about the fact that our defense didn't clean up the second chance or just ball watched? Or in today specifically with Zaha, nobody was around Zaha. Look at yeah, freeze frame that shot. Him. Not a single person was closing down. And again, Henry made a great point. When was the last time Zaha took a shot from outside the box? So yes, an elite keeper that is used, for example, again, your O blocks. And, and I want to use someone specifically because I think Neuer was brought up to my attention that he only faces something like three to four shots a match. And that's why people don't bring him up as much anymore is because he doesn't have to make that many saves. But it's the point that he makes the saves when when it's needed. And that's the one thing that Kepa is yeah, lacking is that he needs to be on the whole match. And against these smaller teams is when we get mad at Kepa. It's never against the big ones. It's always these small teams. So whether it's your West Ham or your Aston Villas, especially Bournemouth, who seem to always beat us when we play them. But that's been my criticism of him. And again, the goals that come... I mean, if you're getting shot at from 10 yards away, the percentage of you stopping that versus a crowded box in front of you where your center backs are in the right place. I mean, things like that. Like, a lot of goals have gone. I remember a goal that people got mad at was Mares curling it around him early in the season. It went between Tomori's legs. Like, little things like that. It always seems to be Kepa's fault, but not the defender or the midfielder that didn't track the runner or that stared at the ball and didn't get the second rebound am I a hundred percent confident on Kepa no I, I I admit it I'm not a hundred percent confident on Kepa and, and at the end of the game today I was very nervous but that comes with the fact that like yeah it's hard not to to fall into the rhetoric that everybody keeps saying and and yeah I don't think it doesn't sound like Chelsea's looking for a keeper this season which is why I'm so just over this conversation because it looks like Kepa's staying at least at least through January. Yeah, financially, it's, I, I don't think there's a way for him to be, for him to leave the club unless it's via loan. And then even if it is via loan, are we still going to recoup? You know, yeah, we'll still pay for most of his of wages. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, like, I'm on the same, I'm on the same wavelength as you guys. I don't think we necessarily need a new keeper ASAP, but there are still a lot of question marks that that he hasn't answered for me. So. This is just like a very unusual territory for Chelsea fans too, because we got Czech from Ren for six million pounds. We got Courtois from Genk for a cheap fee. We've never had a keeper with this level of expectation. Yeah. And he's coming as the most expensive keeper. So whenever he makes a mistake, it's all everyone wants to talk about. And he and he is following up two world class keepers at that too. Yeah. So All right, let's move on to the Twitter questions. We got a good amount actually. Um and a lot of new questions, actually. Uh, this first one is from a new... I, th I don't think I've ever seen a question from him. No, he's asked us before. He's oh, asked us before. Yeah, how, can he's I forget, how could I forget a name like this? Willie Westside, <laughs> aka at not Willie B. 
He says, Jorginho not starting again practically screams he's leaving the summer. I hate to lose him, but could we possibly just use him to fund getting a center back alongside Havertz? So, I mean, we already talked about getting another center back and, you know, getting possibly getting Jorginho. But, like, you know, is would that possibly be, like, the best option going forward to try to fund the acquisition of a new center back by selling off Jorginho alongside Havertz. I mean, if he's, if he's not part of the plan, like if, if it's gotten to that point where we agree that he's a good player, but he's not part of what we're trying to do. I mean, you get a minimum of 45 million for a player like Jorginho. That's a decent sum of cash for one player uh, on top of what I, we already have in the bank. I have to disagree. We're forgetting he's the Corona times. The only the only team spending that amount of money are the very very top teams, and the only top team I could see doing that would be Juventus, and they just bought Arto, who's way better than Jorginho, so there's no need for him. The mid tier teams that used to be able to fund someone like Jorginho definitely can't do it anymore, and he he has a huge salary from joining from Napoli too, so it's not going to be easy to sell him either. And personally, I don't see how that's coming to Chelsea necessarily. Um, where would he, where would he fit alongside you know Mount Ziyech and Pulisic if we were to keep all those players? All right, thanks for joining us, Henry. You can leave now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear that ever again. Okay, <laughs> we're getting Havertz. <laughs> Havertz is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But are we really gonna get Havertz instead of a centre back or Ben Chilwell? Well, that's actually that's actually the next question from uh, Seamus, uh, the, actually the number one hater and ball breaker on all of Twitter. Uh, he asks if we can't if we can't get both uh, of Havertz and uh, center back, would you prioritize Koulibaly and you know rotate Andreas Christensen when needed? Uh, and also, he says that I should stop spending money on adult coloring books and buy a new mic. And I actually probably have the nicest mic here. And uh, I don't know. This guy just loves to talk shit about me. I love Shavis, man. I love this He's guy, too. Yeah, I, th- I think you kind of answered that question already, right, Henry? Well, yeah, no. Koulibaly is 29 years old. Why do you want to spend that much money for a centre-back for two or three years? Especially one who's relatively similar to the way that Zuma already plays. I don't think we'll necessarily get Havertz. I don't think that's a foregone conclusion at all. Sorry, lads. <laughs> I, I, but the standard well, and the Guardian we'll be, both we'll said. We'll be calling you. Come on. We'll, we'll be calling you <laughs> whenever, yeah, I mean, if, if and when Havertz is wearing blue next season. Um, it's. I, I understand the, the coronavirus situation, but every and again i might just be falling into the the trap of the media but every report says that financially speaking we're we have what it takes to to do some spending even in the corona times so while havertz will be expensive you mentioned not being able to get enough money for for Jorginho, but maybe we use that tactic when when aiming for a center back if we know that the big some chunk of money is going to go to havertz and we lowball someone knowing that, you know, they may not be able to hold on to a center back and they're in need of funds. So while we have to pay big on Havertz because he is, you know, one probably top 10 under 21 players right now in terms of form, they, I, would, I would want to prioritize center back because I am frugal like that. And I believe that 
I believe in the talent we have currently. Something tells me that that these Halbert rumors have to have some sort of legs to them. So, I mean, I'll be disappointed as a as a big picture if we get Havertz and not sign a single upgrade at center back. Yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you guys. Havertz is just sort of like icing on the cake. And I think, you know, us going after Havertz has a lot of the Man City stench about it, where we just have this overabundance of attacking talent, you know, in the wide and central areas, but not zero depth at center back. I don't want to be stuck in that situation. And I think that's probably the main cause of what derailed them this season. Um, you know, not discrediting Liverpool at all, but we just don't want to fall in the same trap. I, it, it's it's a matter of buying what we need. And I think right now, you know, we already create, what, it's, is it the second or third most chances in the league? Um, we already picked up a striker to help us convert those chances. Now it's a matter of shoring up that back line and defense so we could start getting some clean sheets. So, you know, if selling Jorginho is what it takes to do it, I'm all for it. I don't think he's going to be here next year anyways. So I think that money is going to be there for our disposal. It's just a matter of who buys them and for how much. We'll also bring in Ziyech too as a creative force. Like there's there's another option there that we have yeah. to integrate into the team. That yeah. much change in the striking force might lead to less chances or, you know, some of the talented players like Mount or Barkley not getting that time. Yeah. And what I meant with Jorginho is the, the mid-tier teams like the Athletic Bilbao's, like you would say, that might be able to pay a smaller fee or take the player and that salary on, they don't have the money. We have the money to buy anyone. We've been very smart with our transfers and we're getting the money from the Hazard and Courtois deals. And he's not from the Basque region, so they probably won't buy them. Buy them. Uh, but, that's, that's also, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I don't know, Henry. I, I see the Guardian, the Standard, and Goal.com saying that Havertz, we are in pole position to sign Havertz. It's guaranteed. Mean? <laughs> I know what it means in Formula One, but what does pole position mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think we have uh, we're one in three chance of uh, getting him. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm English. I can't stand the idea of having three Germans lead our team forward. Uh, yeah, well, oh, as, a one, as a 116th German, I, I, that would make me ecstatic. All right. Let's, oh, I'm, uh, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah so we got we'll move on uh we got a question from uh nacho fuentes again I, I think you kind of already answered this question henry it says he asked uh given the ability to sign only one player for the defense would it be a new left back or a new center back and who would that be i think you kind of answered that question with chillwell right yeah it, de- it depends who the options are chillwell's the best option that left back that i can find so far a new center back that just came to mind might be soyanchu I don't know mm-hmm. how willing left are to sell him, but he's been fantastic since they bought him. He might be someone that could be an option. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a good shout. Uh, Zach Andreas, I mean, I think you guys... Uh, we we talked about it, yeah. 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 Well, a, yeah. Here's a quick one from Ron. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new kits, Henry? Very clean. Big fan. You like the three? Yeah, threes, threes. Uh, I used to have three back in the UK when I was growing up. So yeah, <laughs> uh, slightly reminiscent to me. It's nice. Yeah, I think it looks very clean. Especially, I don't, I don't know if if this year's is my favorite, um, but I think for next year it'll look good. The alternatives, the the whites, kind of look like uh, pajamas a little bit, but I think I might get one. Honestly, I I really like it. Uh, all right, little bit. Yeah, I mean, you guys already said what your thoughts are on the, on the new kids. Let's move on. Ron, also. I love them. 
Ron uh, also wants to know how helpful have these water breaks been for us? I mean, it's been Zach like magic. Hates them. It's been like magic. Every time we stop for a quick drink, we just end up scoring a goal right after. I mean, is that is that just a coincidence or what? <laughs> no, it's it's so useful for the better teams, especially if you're trying to break down a defense. It's so useful. It's definitely something that's benefiting the top teams more than the bottom teams. It sort of gives us a hard reset because it it gives the managers time to pull a couple players aside and kind of snap them back into it, re-strategize, clean up some of our tactics. And and it's it's it has been working to our advantage. But like today, I thought it was hilarious. Right after the water break, I think it was in the second half, it started pouring for just a couple minutes. And it's just I don't know. I they're already giving them five subs, and yes, the water breaks have been advantageous for us. So I guess I really just shouldn't be complaining. I should just keep my mouth shut, huh? They're nice. definitely going to go. They're not going to last until next season. They're definitely not. Right. I hope not, yeah. Uh, so we got another question from uh, Drew Norris. Uh, he asks again. He somehow, for some reason, thinks we have inside sources and says, uh, when will you be able to announce Kai Havertz to Chelsea? <laughs> I, the moment it happens, I want Henry to be send us a soundbite confirming that the signing yeah. occurred. I will. <laughs> be happy because he's quality I, it just doesn't i don't see it and it's just don't see it unfortunately i don't know if you're being a pessimist or a realist but you're not, way, you're not gonna get like it, it out of him you're not gonna get it out of him so. when it's confirmed we'll start the episode with i am henry and i was wrong and <laughs> kai havertz will be wearing blue <laughs> yeah it turns out pole position actually means something who knew yeah. uh, then uh ron just to wrap it up really quickly this needs a quick shout hashtag justice for zuma let's just talk about that tackle for and i did the math three three quadrillion two hundred forty two trillion three hundred seventy four billion seven hundred twenty three million ninety eight thousand seven hundred thirty two minutes can you guys stick around for that long just to talk we'll we'll give them a few seconds how about (laughs) one word reaction to one word reactions to that slide tackle I was pissed off they were showing the replay, so I didn't get to see it live, but wow. Thank you. Thank you, Zuma. That was unreal. My one word would be your. That's the tackle that keeps you in the Champions League. Yeah. I There wasn't a word that came out of my mouth. It was more of a sound, but it was something along the lines of, whoa, like right when he did that. Because I saw right after he made that tackle, the first thing I saw was Kepa pumping his fists and just smacked him right in the chest like, Saved his ass. <laughs> yeah. I was going to get so much shit for that goal. <laughs> Ooh, about my save percentage down to 17% from 19%. God. Uh, my, my numbers just, my, my words is three. Third place, three points. Oh, yeah. and then three, winning three. Oh, wow. And also on two shots. Yeah, well, look at you. Hey, all three <laughs> matches, all three matches using the new sponsor have had one team score three goals. Whoa numerology it's real um all right that's it for the twitter questions we'll we'll we have two matches to preview and we'll keep it pretty short um sheffield on saturday uh norwich on tuesday uh sheffield continues to play the 352 formation they're right currently uh sitting in ninth place with uh 48 points but since project restart began they have not looked too good one win, two draws, three losses. 
Um, they've only conceded 33 goals uh, in 33 matches this season, so that's one of the best marks. But still, I mean, compared to Norwich, who's sitting dead last in the Premier League, uh, all but guaranteed to be relegated, uh, they, on the other hand, have allowed 63 goals in 34 matches, which is the worst mark in the league, uh, minus 37 goal differential. Big yikes. Uh, so so what do you expect to see from uh, from Frank? Henry, I'll start off with you. Well, against Sheffield, they'll have to take their chances because we saw, I don't know if you watched the Tottenham-Sheffield game, but Sheffield, you know, barely let any chances go by in that whole game and just destroyed them on the counter. So I think Sheffield is not as easy a game as we might think, given the record since the restart. I think they're much better when they set up in those low blocks. And they'll be very, very physical with the Chelsea team. So I think it's another game where you probably have to play Giroud um Norwich they're useless so I think Norwich to be Norwich absolutely useless how do you lose to a Danny Welbeck overhead kick (laughs) (laughs) his first goal in like 10 years yeah what a stunner that that was huge for Watford by the way but yeah I think Sheffield will be difficult I think getting that first goal is absolutely key because otherwise they'll just physically drain you and try and hit you on the counter Yeah, I think I think the image of um, Nigel Pearson uh, hugging Daniel Farka after the match kind of told it all for Norwich. But but the big concern is, is a Sheffield match. Um, they're just a, they're just a funky team to play against because they don't necessarily have any star power minus Sander Burge, but they're incredibly organized. They sit really deep. Um, they have two forwards that you've probably never ever heard of that will find a way to hurt you like they did the Tottenham. So it's. This is a coin toss, um, especially with the way Chelsea's form has been. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm 100% on board with you, Henry. I think Giroud has to start in a match like this, especially against three big championship level center backs um, that are probably going to wind up beating the shit out of him. You got to have a striker up there that's going to be willing to to give some back. So um, I want to see Giroud start um, against Sheffield. And I, I also need to see Kovacic. If we don't have Conte in there, um, I'd like to see Kovacic maybe playing at the base of that midfield. Um, he, he was heard today, so that's why we didn't we didn't see him today. Yeah, yeah, no, but 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 Frank said that there's a chance we might be able to see him on Saturday. So my, my hope is that he'll be good enough for Saturday. Um, you want to play him at the base? Yeah, yeah. I mean, from what I saw from Billy Gilmore today, there's just not enough mobility there for me to feel comfortable um, keeping him at the base of midfield without Conte in there. Yeah, you, you, might gotta, play, you might have to play Jorginho, to be honest. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad if we played Jorginho either. I just don't think he's in Frank's plans. I just, I don't know. If any opportunity, if there was any opportunity to play Jorginho, I feel like it would have been today. Especially, I think I was going to say that this game screams for Jorginho because Sheffield's going to sit deep. And yes, they they have crazy amount of size uh, all over the pitch. But I mean, if we can get a guy that can find a quick pass to, to kind of just take over when they're when they're uh, kind of settling back, and that would be the move. What you got going on there, son? <laughs> it's not me. Is everyone okay? <laughs> I have no idea if this is fireworks or... Oh, <laughs> it's literally is explosions. That <laughs> is that the Spurs fan in your basement? <laughs> no, no, Spurs fans in America. Come on. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I've I've actually seen someone wearing a Harry Winks jersey in public and not be completely shamed. <laughs> he was 
Yeah, he lost a bet. Um, <laughs> There's no other explanation. Yeah, but I mean that that kind of wraps everything up this week, guys. Um, Henry, thank you so much for coming on, man. Henry. It was, uh, was hey, awesome. thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. No, we'd love to have you back. Um, whenever you'd like to come back. So, um, Kai you know. Havard signing. You'll be the you'll be their first episode. Okay, <laughs> good. But other than that, I mean, is there anything else you guys want to add before we sign off this week? I'm good. Andre, shout, shout out to class of I'm, 2020 uh, <laughs> law school. I'm still, I'm school. still just recovering from that final 10 minutes and and the post <laughs> and and all that. It, mm. I swear, in at some point in my life, Chelsea Football Club will be the reason I end up in the hospital for a heart attack. All I'm going to say before I end this episode is I'm very, very glad that we played Crystal Palace as Benteke and not Aston Villa as Benteke. <laughs> so um, with that being said, guys, that's the end of our pod this week. Um, if you guys are listening to the show and uh, it's your first time, make sure you're also following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, we're very interactive with all of our listeners. And if you interact with us enough, you might find your way onto one of our shows. So until the next week, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>